Effective communication is important because it helps identify your place in business decisions and personal decisions. Welcome to Communication Matters with Deborah Malnix. Anywhere you go, with everything you do, wherever you live, and whoever you know, communication matters. Now, here's your host, Deborah Malnix. Hello, everyone. My name is Deborah Malnick, and I am your host of Communication Matters. As we all know, communication can make a critical difference between success and failure in life. How we phrase what we do, how we talk to people, how we are understood, all are very important elements in communication. During the show today, I have a special guest with me. We are going to discuss the importance of communication and the impact that they can have on your career, in your life, and basically in your overall well-being. My guest today on Communication Matters is Nancy Hones. Nancy is a strategist, a marketing communications leader, an idea architect. I love that, Nancy. With more than 25 years of national experience in marketing, brand strategy, advertising, public relations, and events, she has a very strong track record of producing game-changing work in agencies, public and nonprofit environments, and she solves problems, generates workable solutions, and she talks, and she communicates, and she communicates well. And I think her ability to communicate has really earned her a wonderful reputation for getting to really be on the same wavelength with her audience. Nancy has earned numerous awards for her work, including the Best of Show Crystal Pyramid Award from the Public Relations Society, And she was appointed to the Global Advisory Council of the World Brand Congress in 2013 and the Global Advisory Council of the World Marketing Congress in 2015. I can keep going and going with the awards that Nancy has received, but let's talk to Nancy personally. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Nancy. And uh, today we will be talking about communications. Welcome. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Well, it's It's um, very, very nice to have you here. And I think one of the first things that I'd like to talk about with you is just knowing you personally, of course, as well as knowing you within your field of of, um, experience, is you have a wonderful ability to get on the same track as the audience you are talking to. And we've had this discussion before, and it is something that you phrase as know your audience. So just out of curiosity and for the audience listening today who are interested in communications, do you change how you communicate with your different audiences? Do you change the words? Do you change the tone? Do you change? Explain to our audience a little bit about that when you say know your audience, because it's a phrase we all hear again and again. But what does that mean in the field of communications and various components? I think that we all change the way we communicate depending upon who our audience is, not only in our professional life, but in our personal life. Think about how you may respond to a question um, that a realtor has asked you um, as opposed to a question that a dear friend might be asking you. So it really depends on, as I always say, who your audience is. I've spent a lifetime, Deborah, observing. And it's something that I started very early on in my career, and I think that I've never stopped. To this day, I consider it to be one of my secret weapons. I look not only at how people respond to situations, how they deal under certain circumstances, but also what are they portraying? What are they giving out? And there's uh, something that we all know. It's not only verbal communications. We communicate in so many different ways. We communicate uh, with our body language. We communicate with our smile. We communicate by the way we hold our hands when we're speaking to someone. We communicate by the way we cross our legs when we're sitting at a table. So all of these are little clues. And if one takes the time to observe their audience or learn about their audience, I think that that's just valuable information that will prove um, very worthwhile to them as they try and um, 
come up with not only something um, professionally uh, to solve a professional problem, to come up with a game plan, but also in your personal life as well. Well, I've always admired your communication abilities, and I and I have witnessed them firsthand is in a variety of situations. But tell me one of the one of the phrases that you said, which I thought was very interesting, was your body language, how you cross your legs, how you smile at someone. Suppose you were in a situation where you really didn't see the person, where you were on the phone or let's say in a video call, and there wasn't the ability for the other person to see that. Do you feel that voice is able to relay those kinds of messages with communication that you couldn't show someone when your body is not able to be seen? That's such an interesting question. And my answer to that would be a resounding yes. I believe that your audience or the person or people that you're speaking to, whether they can see you or not, can hear you smile. And it's that enthusiasm and the way that you, uh, the pitch of your voice, the inflection that you use, the um, tone of your voice, the rapidity of your voice, or the lack thereof, all of these things are part of communicating. So your voice is incredibly important. And the way that you are feeling clearly comes across whether your audience is one that is viewing you or they are not. One of the things I, I have always felt so strongly about with communication, of course, is the, the visual aspect, especially in most situations where there is a visual cue. You could be saying something where I'm so excited, but yet your body language and your face really relay a different message. And I think one of the wonderful things about the visualness of any situation is when they're in sync. And we've all known people who are saying nice things like, oh, this is a wonderful idea, but their face and body language says something totally different. And you pick up these different cues. And I've always known you to be someone who has um, a perfectly blended array of, of cues that work together so naturally, and it shows. Tell me about some of the lessons you've learned over your very illustrative career in effective communications. I mean, were you born talking all the time? I mean, were you very verbal as a child and, and you sort of honed this by yourself? Or is it something that you learned later in life? Is it something you learned on a particular job? Um, I will tell my audience that Nancy created a campaign that I simply, I, I really, really enjoyed. And it was Take a Fish to Work Day. And it was totally out of the usual and typical, and it created a great success. And it was fun. Take a fish to work day. The, the fish never get a chance to go to your work and see how you operate. So why not just take them to the office for a day? <laughs> and it was a wonderful, 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 fun campaign. Personally, I think when you put a little fun into what you do, it gets a lot more of a positive response because everyone loves to have fun. Well, there really was a reason behind why we created Take a Fish to Work Day. It was done for the American Pet Products Association, and um, which has several categories of pets. And the fish or the aquatic division wasn't getting as much exposure as they had wished. So we were trying to come up with a way, hmm, how can we elevate fish? And it turns out that fish are a wonderful addition to any workplace because they have a very calming effect. And so when we did Take a Fish to Work Day, we were trying to raise the understanding um, of the psychological benefits of having fish as a um, fish in the workplace. And we actually did fish giveaways in Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago. And, um, and what type of fish was, were these? Were they goldfish? Were they, they were goldfish. goldfish. But I'll, I'll tell you, enough time has passed that I can share this story, which I wouldn't readily do back in the day. Um, but we had prepared to do fish giveaways. And when we got to the Empire State Building, um, the people 
down below had informed us that someone from PETA had come and they were ready to shut, to shut down our whole operation, which really wasn't a great, um, a great situation for us because you have to realize that all the cameras from um, national television were there to cover us for Take a Fish to Work Day. So we had to think very quickly. The fish went back into cold storage and we ran around the corner, uh, found a pet store and gave away tickets that would allow people to go to certain pet stores and get their free fish. It was more or less like a, something, a coupon that they could redeem. And we gave them those coupons with the fish starter kit instead of the actual fish themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, honestly, Deborah, I remember the... Uh, the coverage reel on that, it was remarkable. It was a coast-to-coast hit. It made every single major news broadcast from one coast of our country to another. And I'm sure the fish were thrilled. I'm sure that was one of the happiest days in their life. And they are probably still talking about that great publicity day that they had in their lives. Right. Because it was just, it was, it was fun. And I think that when you can add a little bit of fun in whatever you do, people remember and people enjoy it because there was um i would like to um give a shout out if anyone's listening to some of my graphic design co-workers who worked at gillespie and mccann erickson agency at the time who came up with the visuals to support that campaign and actually our logo for take a fish to work day was a fish carrying a briefcase it was really it was really quite something I've always felt that when you could take a subject and and turn it into something that's enjoyable and get your message across at the same time, you're really, you know, you're really making something twice as effective because it incorporates a lot of different elements that add to the overall picture. Now, let me ask you a question. Personally, our audience is always interested in how you reach the point you are at. Um, How did you actually begin your career? and get the opportunity to do these ideas. Obviously, everyone goes through a serious phase of where they have to work really hard. Many people never get to the next phase of where they're able to be um, included in some of the creative, the heavy creative idea. But tell us a little bit about your background, about how you were able to reach the point you are now and how you achieved it. Uh, Deborah, I went to college um, to study journalism. And I actually have a degree uh, in journalism, a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism, and I was trained to be an investigative news reporter on the, but I've always had uh, a rather remarkable imagination that, um, you know, if it doesn't uh, humor anyone else, I've always been able to humor myself with the things that I've come up with. (laughs) So um, the head of the journalism department on the day that I actually got my diploma whispered in my ear and he said, I think you'll be a lot happier if you go into advertising. Um, (laughs) I moved to the Philadelphia area one week after I graduated from college and I was fortunate enough to land a job as the assistant to the creative copy chief of what was a major advertising agency in Philadelphia. Um, I obviously didn't get the right cues at that time for what my job was. He would hand me copy and my job was to type it. I actually read things a little bit differently and decided when he handed me copy, I would rewrite it. So I had that job for less than two weeks. Um, How do you tell your parents when they've just paid for an entire college education that you've lost your first job as a brand new graduate within two weeks of graduating school. Um, How did you do that? Right. So I was very, I was very forlorn and I wandered into a dress shop um, on a little street near where the agency was that I was working on a Friday afternoon. And I just started to cry. And the owner of the dress shop said, Oh, dear, you're so upset. Why are you crying? And I explained the entire situation to her. And she told me that she had a very dear friend who was a producer at the w, at WCAU, which was the CBS affiliate in Philadelphia, and that she would give him a call on my behalf. Well, he 
created a meeting for me to meet with him that evening. He looked at some of my work, told me I didn't have the experience to work on in a television station at that time. However, he had a friend who was working on the opening of a supper club in Center City, Philadelphia, and he would put me in touch with that person. Um, that person happened to be someone, Deborah, that you worked for as well. And um, his name was Preston. And he gave me a, um, a sample project to see how I would do. And my job was to interview um, several of the stars and the owners of the supper club uh, to come out with what they called the launch release at the time. So I got a job with Preston Williamson and you and I met in those days. Yes, we did. And those were definitely very interesting, wonderful, creative days. A lot of restaurants, a lot of hospitality growing. It was, I think, one of the things that makes any person interesting and and sort of rounds them out and fills them with just a certain persona of having experienced a lot is really being able, A, to relate to people, B, being able to communicate with people, and C, having an interesting background, a background that doesn't necessarily stay within one area, but really has expanded to different aspects, different parts of. And I think that you continue to grow for your whole life. You never stop growing. And I always say one of my favorite lines, if you, if you stop learning, you start dying. Because mm-hmm. all of life is a continuing experience. And there were definitely wonderful, great days in, in that time of Philadelphia and in the agency field right. at, that, at that particular period. But you know, Deborah, if, if I may, I would just like to add something to what you said, because I think it's so critically important. I have worn so many different hats in so many different industries and fields in my career. I've worked in the fashion industry as a spokesperson for major retailers, not only in Philadelphia, but nationally. I have worked in um, the um, in various industries from energy efficiency to manufacturing. I have done work in so many, so many different types of agencies that I've worked for, different companies that I've worked for. And every single time that I've gotten a new job, it was more or less like they hang out a new shingle and I had to start all over again. Um, so I think that I want to bring that up for your audience to understand. I know that you've been a very successful entrepreneur your entire life. And although I have had my own business, I have spent much more time working in the midst of others or being hired to be the person to launch or inaugurate um, a, a business, uh, a new venture, or a new department. But what I think we probably share is that every single time I have gotten a new position to be the one to inaugurate something new, I've had to be very entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. in my approach. And it was like starting a business from scratch every single time. Well, if you think about it and just change the word job to career to business, you are starting a, a new business. You know, I do a lot of um, work with students, and one of the words that I tell them that if I could eliminate from the language, it would be failure. Because I hear this all the time. I don't want to try it because uh, what if I fail? Well, I did that once and I failed. And there's this aura around that word. And I always tell my the students I'm working with, change that word from failure to learning. And you have a totally different reaction to it. Because what that is, what failure is, is learning. You learn that it is either not the best decision for you to make, or you learn that you're not ready for that yet, or you learn that you could actually do very well in that area. But when people look at things as failure, they tend to not want to do them again. And failure is nothing more than learning. Um, I think that that's true. And I also think that there are many times, and I've experienced this myself, you can start out with a goal in mind, um, with something that you hope will happen um, as a result of the actions that you take. And things don't always work out the way we want them to. They just don't. So someone told me a long time ago, some will, some won't. So what next? And I had just always 
kept on going. I, I have three words that I think are so critically important that drive me in everything I do in my life. And those simple three words are keep at it. Keep at it. Don't give up. Uh, You might have to rethink something. You might have to change your vantage point slightly, um, have a different perspective. Uh, If you can't get through a window, if you can't get through a door, go through a window. If you can't get through a window, there's always a chimney. There's always some way of doing something. And I think it's just a matter of um, not not giving up. Um, So I don't personally use the term failure, although I have had situations in my life that, as I said, have not worked out the way that I want them to. Yes, they are learning situations. And yes, they are very disappointing. But I think that you just keep going one foot in front of another. I think that's probably one of the most important pieces of advice and probably one of the strongest learning lessons. It's tenacity. It's you keep on going because the longer you are in the game, the more other people fall out. And if you stay in it and your tenacity takes you another step further, another step along the path, you really do reap an incredible amount of rewards. Yes. No, that's very true. And, you know, there's, a, there's another idiom that's used frequently in life and they say, well, you should get that because you deserve it. I personally don't believe in deserving. I believe in earning, earning. And um, I have worked hard to earn, to earn certain positions, to earn certain outcomes. And I think that what that means is that you really, you do all your homework always. A good professional does their homework. A good professional gives every situation their all. Whether you're earning $20 an hour or $100 an hour, you treat the situation the same way and you give it the very best that you have. I think that's what being a professional is all about. And then you earn, you earn the rewards and the benefits that come from your hard work. Now, let me ask you a question that probably many in the audience are. Are, are asking themselves, what was one of your biggest disappointments or one of, let's say, your biggest, and I, and I don't believe in the word failure, losses or heartbreaks or just something that happened, but you didn't give up. You kept going. Right. Because I think that is the difference. You keep going. Yes, this was a terrible thing. Maybe I didn't get the job. Maybe I didn't get the account but you don't give up. You keep on going. What was the personal experience you had where you, you actually became stronger from the situation? Does anything come to mind? I think all of those experiences when you don't get what you were hoping, or as I said before, the outcome is not exactly what you had anticipated. Um, they do make you stronger. And that's part, of, that's part of resilience. That's part of building a professional coat. But I can share with you, Deborah, that um, I've had the very good fortune of having major executive positions with um, national companies and major advertising agencies. And there have been time times when, because I was at such a high level, that the economy has tanked where there's been a corporate takeover and those jobs and positions that have been, that were going so well for me at the height of everything, you know, it wasn't that anything wrong happened. It's just that the economy might've taken a turn. Um, In fact, one of those situations happened in my life during 9-11 and I was in all my glory doing fabulously wonderful work, receiving tons of accolades, being very successful um, in a, in an executive level position and 9-11, the aftermath of 9-11, I, I was in the consumer pub, I was heading up the consumer public relations department of a large um, national advertising agency. And people were not in the mood for consumer public relations at that time. There was a protocol, which we can all understand um, in the aftermath of 9-11. And ultimately, ultimately, I lost my job. And the division that I headed up was closed. Um, That was a a blow. 
um, and a huge disappointment. I understood the mechanics of why I ha- why that happened, but it doesn't make it any easier to take. So I think the way you deal with a situation when things don't go your way is to try and regroup, um, not to give up, just to keep, just as I've said before, to keep at it. And um, I have just propelled myself to listen to my own advice. I think you had said something which, or that I, I really feel very close to, and that is you keep on going and you never give up. A lot of people can't do that. And I don't know what the difference is sometimes where someone like yourself, like myself, will just keep on going. And I thought someone had told me this once, and it really helped through so many of the really difficult situations. And and I'm going to share it with the audience listening today, because I, I think that this will help you as well. When you're really in a situation where you think, why am I even going on? It, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the project. I didn't get... And you just stop and you feel so down and you say, what's the worst thing that can happen from that? I'm not going to lose my house. You know, I'm not going to lose my friends, my people who are important to me. You know, I, I didn't get what I wanted, but in the scheme of things, when you really look at them, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on things that really create the big picture when it might be just a little picture. So many times when we think that it is the worst thing that could ever happen to us, when we think about it, we're still alive. We're still functional. We're still able to walk down the street. We can still get down the stairs. We can still go outside. We can still drive a car. I mean, all of those things, when you look at them in perspective, those are the things that really make a life, you know, being around people you enjoy, who care about you, having structure, having, you know, a, a wonderful circle of friends. It, sometimes our perspective needs a jolt to get back to the way it really is, because we can get carried away and say, oh, my God, you know, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. Right. But you keep on going. The tenacity, I think, is so important. You keep on going. You keep on trying. You keep on walking down that path. And when everything comes together, you're ready for it. Well, because if you don't, then it just passes you by. Deborah, I have three more words that I think would be really good to mention right now. And that is, you never know. So in addition to keep at it, I also live by the three words you never know. And I suppose that that's the reason why I get dressed every day, why I enjoy putting on lipstick, why I smile, why I care about the way I present, um, why I like to look down streets and avenues that I haven't been to before. Why? Because you never know. You just never know what situation something wonderful and fabulous is going to unfold and appear before you. You never know who you are going to meet or where and how that could help uh, to enhance your life. Um, Again, possibly professionally, but also personally. So I think it's a matter of trying to, yes, accept defeat. And I will use that word, not failure, but defeat. Right. But let me interject here. Yes, because that's a reality, but you keep on going. You keep on going. You just keep on going and you regroup. And um, I think something else that has helped me in those difficult moments is uh, you mentioned learning and growing before. Um, I am I am just a life learner. I during the pandemic, you know, we all had so much time on our hands and, you know, endless afternoons where we couldn't see those that we loved and we were quite isolated. And I just came up with a new topic to research every day on the internet, things that I had always wanted to learn about. And I would find myself getting lost for two or three hours at a time, uh, just jumping from one spot to another spot, um, gaining all this new knowledge or a a different perspective than I had. It could have been something as simple, um, uh, like I was a real fan of Sammy Davis Jr. And I wanted to know more about his life, researching an entertainer that I had admired to looking for the origin of a dance that was in vogue 30 years ago. Um, I think, you know, it's just a matter 
of maintaining your curiosity and following your gut instinct to move forward. I like that aspect a lot. Just curious, what has been your favorite or the position you held where you felt you were able to really add a lot to the position Mm. with the way you thought and the way you did things that might not have been the norm, might not have been what the group was used to, but it really gave you a distinct identity. Um, three, three different positions come to mind, Deborah, for me, and they were all very fulfilling and very gratifying and satisfying in different ways. Um, the first one uh, that I think I'd like to speak about was I was hired to serve as the chief marketing officer for an international eyewear manufacturing company called Swank Eyewear that was located in Hong Kong. And they also had a manufacturing plant in New Jersey. And they had been well known in the manu- in the eyewear manufacturing um, industry for 30 years, but their brand image had completely lost its luster. Um, nobody was buying their frames anymore. Um, their recognition, they were associated with things that they really didn't want to be in so- associated with. And I was hired to reinvigorate their brand and rethink it. And it was for me like being a kid in a candy store. And I really spent time going to different places in America and visiting optical stores to see what's missing, how do people shop, what happens when somebody is getting a new pair of frames. And it gave me the opportunity to literally think about the eyewear industry in a very new and bold and different way than it had ever been thought of before. So um, because I had a large background in fashion at that time, which I did, I was a very appealing candidate to Swank Eyewear. And part of the re-imaging played heavily on my fashion background and giving um, this company uh, the type of look, very of the moment, um, of the moment newness and awareness and making it vital and exciting and creating all new point of purchase displays for this company that were incredibly contemporary. And in fact, um, the company, it was the first time that people of color were ever ever, um, viewed in eyewear ads at that time. And I think this is quite some time ago. And I think I became aware that we had a service to fulfill. There were needs that were not being met in the eyewear industry. Um, so it was it was ex- an extraordinary time um, that enabled me to use um, some of the very best of my creative talents, working with various models and photographers, and and you know rebranding and a major advertising agency. And I loved the fact how when people talked about Swank Eyewear. Uh, They would use phrases like Swank Eyewear now has 20-20 vision. Um, (laughs) You know, it was, uh, we were successful. Um, What happened in that, after two years of working on this whole rebranding, that company was sold. They were so successful that they, that the company with the inter, the international parent company decided to sell them. So that was again one of those moments that we spoke about earlier, where things go very very well, and you know, um, out of a particular person's control, something can happen. But that was one. Um, Another very exciting opportunity for me was I had a chance to work for the City of Philadelphia Department of Sustainability, the Mayor's Office of Sustainability, on a grant-funded regional program to promote energy efficiency, both residential in residential and commercial arenas in this area. It was part of a grant from the Better Buildings Program that had been started um, under the previous another administration in Philadelphia. And um, I had never worked in a government environment before. I really had a chance to learn 
and to see things that I had never seen before. And working in city government is not like working in an advertising agency. It is not like working in a major company. It is completely, completely different. So I think- me, Can you just explain a little bit of that to our audience when, when you say it's completely different? In what sense? Is it the bureaucracy? Is it that you have to please a lot of people who may not know about a particular subject? Because you hear that a lot, but you don't necessarily hear the specifics. And I think our audience would enjoy hearing that when you say it was, it was very different from what you had worked on before. One of the points of information that I was given during my first or second week working for the city of Philadelphia was that somebody in a position of power said to me, uh, you will be seeing things during your tenure here that you may not understand and they might perplex you. But trust me, there is always a reason why something happens, whether it will be apparent to you or not. And I saw that. Mm -hmm. So there were many times when things would happen um, that you had to be very careful in an approach you would take because there were so many different actors in the particular situation that I'm talking about, um, this was a multi-county effort with a number of different political higher-ups who were involved in all the decisions that were made. And we had to please many audiences, not just one audience, but we had to please many audiences. And the other thing is you want to keep your customer happy. Um, and that is not always an easy task especially when happiness to one customer is very different than what happiness is to another customer. So I really think it helped to, it helped me to um, improve my listening skills, which I always work, I'm working on in one way or another. Um, and my ability to pause and to really reflect rather than to react immediately. And so was that I, something that came natural to you or was it something that you really had to work on? I had to work on it. Okay. I had to work on it because, um, you know, in my case, Deb, I'm a very quick thinker. Somebody once told me that I think more quickly than they can speak. And, you know, that may or may not be true. But I realized that um, everybody, when you're in a work situation, everybody works at a different pace. Um, this goes back to communication, which we were talking about earlier. So it's not just enough for a communicator to develop their own style of communicating, but it's also very important for a communicator to pick up on the cues and the transmissions that those that they're communicating with other communicators are giving out to them so that you can constantly make these minor adjustments. To be more stop for, uh, because I think that that's a very interesting um, area when you were mentioning picking up on certain cues that other people are giving you. And I'm sure we've all had this experience where we might be giving a cue, like looking at our watch when we're talking to someone, which would be a cue for, obviously, this is going longer than I expected. But there are also those people who just don't seem to ever take any of those cues. Either they're not aware of them or they simply don't want to listen to them. And I've always felt that those were situations because this person you're talking to could be really critical in, in, in a position you want or up, um, you know, getting to the next level of where you plan to go. But those cues that might mean something totally different to someone not in this situation. It's a very tricky situation. And I've heard people talk about that a lot. It was giving cues and they're not being taken. They're not being accepted. They're not being received. Have you had that experience? Um, yes. And again, it was a learning experience, not only for the companies um, and the agencies that I've worked for in America, but Swank Eyewear that I mentioned earlier at the top of our conversation. Um, the owners of Swank Eyewear were located in Hong Kong. And the cultural differences between what goes on there and how we perceive things here are enormous. So even in just sharing a meal 
with someone from another country, not only just having a conversation or trying to understand what the mission is of an advertising or a marketing campaign, but even something as normal um, and as taken for granted as, as having a cup of coffee with somebody or sharing a dinner, there are cues. Each one of these situations has different cues. People respond differently. What we might perceive to be perfectly normal in our way, our understanding of doing things could be very contrary to someone else's culture or orientation. And, you know, I think I'm using it in this particular term, talking about somebody from another country, but it could be somebody from another side of town. It could be somebody from another state in our United States. It could be somebody on a different political platform than you. So we all have differences. And I think it's just, be, um, I think it does take a lot of practice. And, you know, it, it's hard work to understand. It is hard work to understand. In, in your conversation, the thought that keeps going through my mind is that there has to be an awareness of this. And again, it, it comes down to, you know, a person who may be looking at their watch and, and the other person is completely oblivious to the fact that it seems this person has someplace to go and let's wrap up. Or should I ask the question, do you have another appointment right after this? We could continue or let's just end at this point. And you said a word that has always been one of my favorites, and it's awareness. And I think how you become aware, you mentioned this a little bit in your your introduction, is by observing, Mm -hmm. by watching, by really seeing how people communicate, maybe not verbally, but with body language Mm -hmm. and with imaging. And that's all part of the messaging that becomes very important to be aware of because people tend to think of communication in one area, which is verbal, but we communicate, as you mentioned earlier, in many, many other ways. We we communicate by how we walk out of a room. We communicate by how we close the door. We close the door softly and smile versus slamming it. It's two totally different types of communication. We communicate, yes, by the, by the way we walk, by what we say, by, you know, just subtle hand gestures, by the way we hold our head. Um, so I think observation, um, and I love to observe, you know, one of my favorite places to be um, to this day is in a hotel lobby yes. or on a street corner or anywhere where I can just sit and kind of uh, be like lost in a crowd, but it gives me, it's like having a front row seat to life itself. And I love to see what do people do. And I also enjoy, um, I just enjoy the interactions that people have. You know, what happens in a crowded elevator? Do you do you move to the left? Do you move to the right? Do you say good day? Or do you just, you know, not say anything? Um, and again, each one of those situations or whatever you would observe and any, any opportunity that you have to see people in motion or just sitting still is information that you can utilize in some way going forward. So um, I am a real observer. I always have been. I take it all in. I never know quite how it's going to, you know, come out or where it's going to be of use, but I I love to look at the world around me. I open up my senses every single day, all of them, as many as I can. And I, um, and I appreciate that. I, I really do. I think there is awareness there. And knowing that awareness and being aware of it gives you even more of an appreciation of what you are and who you are as a human being. Um, but I think that it comes down again to just observing and learning and I think the more we learn, the better we are, not only individually, but as, as a group, as a civilization. Although sometimes I think, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like many people are really learning that much anymore sometimes. But I think that we all have a duty to be the best we can be. And how we can achieve that is by observing and by being a part of a larger picture. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, in this particular discussion was about mentoring and giving back. Because I think that so many people have so much knowledge in so many situations and how important it is to pass that on, to do the things that will enable others to 
have a little advantage. And, and I'll give you an example, mentoring. When I first started my business, it just didn't exist. We didn't have the mentoring programs that we have now. I mean, we have so many possibilities when we begin a, a career to have a mentor, older, wiser, m- much more, um, let's say, observant than we might be at a very young stage. Well, that really didn't exist when, when I began in business. But it is very much a part of the business world now, the mentoring aspect. But in your case, how do you help others? Obviously, your knowledge is extensive and it's deep. How do you give back to others so that they could have some of the opportunities and insight that you have now that came from many years of learning? Right. Um, Well, I think I'd like to say to begin with that mentoring is not a one-way street. Uh, Anytime that I've ever had the opportunity to assist somebody along their road of uh, professional growth, it has been a joy for me and it has been an honor. Um, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to impact somebody's life or to help, to be given the opportunity to help guide them and to help them raise um, their reason for being as they go along. I, the positions that I've held in my life, I always, we always had interns that were always part of the team. And I would be the one in charge of the internship program. Um, Later on um, in executive level positions, I would be somebody that was uh, in charge of the spirit committee. Um, I think that has to do a little bit with my personality, you know, uh, to doing that. But I have found that, um, Deborah, I believe that I have learned just as much from those that I've had the privilege of working with to mentor as they may have gotten from me. Um, Recently, uh, one of my colleagues, a younger colleague from the city of Philadelphia who went on to work in Washington, D.C., recently moved to San Diego. And um, mental health had always been a subject that she was very interested in. She actually worked in the health department in the city of Philadelphia doing communications for them. And a perfect opportunity came up for her to marry her professional skills with things that were important to her and the way she saw the world from her own personal vantage point. And again, I had the privilege of helping her to prepare for her interviews to point out things that she may not have seen because there are many moments when two heads are better than one, when we all have different ways of looking at things. And um, I was very deeply gratified. She got the job mm-hmm. and we spent several, um, several times doing phone conversations of what might be important, what, how should she prepare for this interview? What could she bring to the table? Um, you know, going over all of the fine points of her past and how they would impact this particular position. And I loved it. I, I, I just felt, I think I was probably as happy that it worked out for her. I think it was because it worked out for me. You know, <laughs> The fact that she won, I won. Um, and then I have always going back the interns, which I think is a, certainly a form of, of, of mentoring. Um, for anyone in our listening audience who is in the position of having interns work on their team, oh my goodness, could there be anybody more valuable? Could there be anybody more valuable than somebody that is willing to do whatever it takes uh, to help produce an event, to help create a campaign, um, to just be willing to learn and open up their mind to take it all in? Um, those are those are wonderful moments, Deborah. To have a and I think that as we, we talk, one of the things that keeps coming back again and again and again is the the wonderful receivership you have when you help someone. You know, that you it's not just giving and giving and not getting anything back. There's a tremendous amount of satisfaction and a tremendous amount of joy that the individual receives when they help someone. Right. And I remember reading an article once about our minds are actually programmed that when we help others, endorphins are released because it gives us a feeling of satisfaction, of feeling we've done something good. And it is this feeling that enabled us to survive as early civilizations going back to cave days, because if there were no rewards in helping each other, why bother? 
It does feel good. It feels good. good. And I I have talked to so many people during my um, extensive many years in business, and they all say the same thing, that it feels so good to give back, to share the knowledge I have, Mm -hmm. to be able to help someone achieve their goals by what I have learned. And I think that we sometimes don't think about that, about how it helps us in so many ways that we might not even be aware of. We feel good. It's a basic component of being alive. It makes us feel good. Deborah, um, I had recently the wonderful opportunity to teach uh, the foundations of marketing at a two-year college. And it was something that's always been on my bucket list. I took my assignment very seriously. I um, gave two four-hour lectures each week for an entire school year to photography students and to graphic design students. We worked, of course, with a textbook, but it was really up to me to augment um, my lecture twice a week with not only personal experiences, but I drew from what was going on, what was topical in the world that week, what had happened. I used current events. I used things that were going on in the entertainment industry, in the political industry, in um, you know government and in um, retail. I just drew from all of these rich opportunities, you know, in the world that I live in. And I have to tell you what you said is so true. At the end of each of those days, even though I was exhausted, um, it would take me a long time to prepare each of my four-hour lectures. That's a a lot of lecturing, you know, Um, (laughs) and trying to come up with, you know, participatory exercises that the team could do and have them be inventive. And when you're dealing with a 21, 22, and 23-year-olds, that's quite a difficult assignment, right? You know, they they are a tough audience. But at the end of each of those days, as exhausted as I was, there was also, I remember the feeling of, um, of great satisfaction and thinking, wow, um, that was really amazing. You know, that was really amazing to see somebody in a room, in a classroom full of people, ask an interesting question or respond to a question that I would pose or stay with me on a lecture or watch what was on the board. You know, it was just um, Wow, I, I felt like I had won the jackpot. Mm-hmm. And in many ways you had. Because yeah. I think it was the kind of situation that enabled you to feel better as a human being, to give sure. back, to be able to continue that process. And I think that that is a side of business that is not so often um, in discussion, but I think it's so important because I think when you do help others, it makes you feel good. And to be able to help someone, give them advice or, or just help them get through a difficult problem is extremely rewarding. And I think in many ways, we actually have an obligation to do that because I think as we do that, we enable a new generation to be able to think clearer, to be able to do their work better and hopefully make a better generation um, You know, I always say there's no one answer for everybody, but I think giving back is critically important in many, many ways and helping someone. Deborah, you we talked a little bit about mentoring, but I forgot to mention um, who mentored me. And I think that that would be a very important uh, point to bring up because I learned so much again by observing. But one of the agencies that I worked for, there was a very strong woman who was one of the owners of the agency. And um, one of the things that she did in her agency was the media buying. Every time somebody would try and call up and she would be on the phone discussing how much money she was going to spend for a media buy, no matter what they said to her, her classic line always was, if you want to do business with me, you better sharpen your pencil. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard this line over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So when I left the agency, 
I decided, hmm, I think I'm going to like use that in some way. And when I went shopping, uh, the first time I bought a car on my own, um, the people in the showroom gave me a price on the car and it didn't matter to me what it was. I said, gentlemen, if you want to do business with me, you'd better sharpen your pencil. (laughs) I have a feeling that many of our listeners today will be taking that advice And in whatever they're buying, they'll be using that phrase. Well, if you want to do business with me, you'll have to sharpen that pencil. (laughs) I did soften it up a bit, though. I have to say, when it came out in my way, it was sort of like, gentlemen, if you want to do business with me, you have to think about coming back with a better, you know, better number than that. Um, Everybody has to put their own spin on it. But um, I watched, I, I think, again, it was I watched how she conducted herself. I understood how important it is is to understand that certain demeanors are effective in certain circumstances and that not everything works in every single way, which goes back to when we talked about having to fine tune your communications, having to make minor adjustments based on who your audience is. That's all very important. Right. And different audiences have different objectives and goals, obviously. I, I want to get a, a couple of personal insights here because we're, we're coming to our, the time when we have to leave. And, and I could go on all night. I have gone on all night. But what one lesson do you feel that you learned in your career that everyone should know or use or be aware of? It was really an important eye-opener for you. To always keep your eyes and your ears open always. And look for not the obvious, but the hidden communicators that people use that will really give you astounding insights into what will work best for you as a communicator, whether you're a copywriter, whether you're a brand expert, whether you're a marketer, a strategist, keep your eyes and your ears open. I think we've said it a couple of different ways, but it's really a very similar thought. Be aware of where you are. Be aware of those around you. And I think it, it was, I was telling somebody this the other day. I walked into a restaurant and I saw a table of five people and no one was talking to each other. They were all on their phones <laughs> and there was no communication going on. It was just strictly very self-absorbing. And I think one of the areas you really stressed a lot, which I believe in so strongly, is look around. What are people really saying? What is really around you in your your daily schedule that will help to make you a better person? So much of this is being aware, being aware and wanting to be aware, Mm -hmm. being aware and saying, I really learned from this situation, being aware and saying, this is, this is very interesting to me because I would not have thought that this would be the outcome, but I learned. And I think as we go through life, the more we can keep focused on learning and never stop, the better individuals we become. Right. And Deborah, I think I'd like to uh, share um, a final thought that uh, what comes to mind right now is, um, and I think this is kind of like a good culmination of everything that we've talked about. Uh, There's an old saying, I don't know who exactly said it, and this is probably not the way it originated, but it is some form of that saying, uh, luck is the residue of when design meets opportunity. So I think that as communicators, as marketers, as advertisers, we always need to be preparing, always filling up the pot of our own information so that when that moment comes, we are rich with the information that will help guide us and help us to prepare, know how to go forward from that point on. So, as I said, luck is the residue of when design meets opportunity. Um, you're always getting ready for the next to take the next step. I think that's a, a beautiful thought for the closure. And I want to add to that with, if you keep your eyes open and your ears open and look around you, you will always be learning. Yes. And when you always are learning, you're always improving and you're always getting better and better. 
And it's something that I think is such an extraordinary journey because it makes you brighter, smarter, better. And, and you feel good because the learning never stops. Deborah, would, thank you for this opportunity to have a wonderful conversation with you. Well, I certainly enjoyed it. And um, if anyone would like to get in touch with you, they can certainly contact um, the station and we'll make sure that it's okay to give your address out if, if someone wants to talk to you a little bit further. But I so enjoyed our conversation and I would like to say thank you very, very, very much for being such a wonderful guest and I will be talking to you again soon. And I'd like to say to the audience, thank you for joining us today. And Communication Matters can be heard every Wednesday, I hope, and if not on podcast. And um, we look forward to sharing with you our next piece of information and conversation. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. Communication Matters can be heard on the Voice America Business Channel. Check and listen for new shows every week. Until our next program, keep the communication going.